Welcome to Business Lines State of the Economy podcast where you will find insight analysis and the story behind the numbers. Hello and welcome to BL State of Economy podcast. I am Lokeshwari. We are joined today by Dr. Arun Singh, Global Chief Economist, Dunn & Bradstreet. We will be dissecting the extremely disturbing growth and inflation numbers from various parts of the globe. and we'll also try to understand what all this means for india hello dr singh welcome to the bl state of economy podcast so i'd just like to call your attention to what our rbi deputy governor michael patra had recently said in a speech that he said that 2020s can actually be a lost decade because of the pandemic and the war and the slowdown in investments which started in 2020 2010 will actually continue and then even the next decade could be a washout so what is your thoughts on this statement are we actually facing a lost decade there are certain structural challenges ahead for not just india in fact to the global economy as a whole we have uh, in fact aging workforce primarily in the developed nation we have slowing investment Uh, intent uh, could be there but the actual investment on the ground is slowing we have a productivity slowing down so there are many factors but these are the these are the critical which basically add up to your gdp add up to the growth in fact uh, if you look at the global growth which has been project projected for the decade of 2022 to 2030 this is slightly more than the 2% Uh, whereas if we compare this growth during 2000 to 2010 this growth was uh, close to 3.5% which is almost double so the growth itself in this decade it's down what we have seen in the 2000 to 2010 growth that's happening uh, however uh, there are several long term development i think we need to keep in mind which uh, help me to counter this argument and there are some supporting that we might have not last on the decade there are certain good things happening on, on the planet one uh, if you look at the technological advancement in fact this decade are witnessing a rapid acceleration in technological innovation the way we are talking with industry 4 and including industry 4 into the mainstream of economic growth is very high and that's going to uh, reshape the potential um, for the various industries if i have to take example we all talk about artificial intelligence blockchain renewable energy technologies that's all are experiencing a significant growth uh, these are going to certainly lead what we call economic transformation and job creation and that's happening i think while we we worry about ai but there are other things which basically ai can contribute in terms of the productivity and other things that's happening so that's one counter argument second is the infrastructure investment you might have seen in india is one example but then other countries the biggest country we talk about the government worldwide are recognizing the need for significant infrastructure investment uh which can stimulate economic growth and create a new jobs that's the basically two things we are talking about in fact when i talk about us 2.1 trillion dollar boost for the public infrastructure for the next 10 years that could um, you know add as much as 5.7 trillion to the us over the next decade and that can create a 2.3 uh, million jobs by 2024 so on an infrastructure investment there's a massive push happening and in fact we have seen what's happening in india as well in terms of infrastructure piece 
And that's the second counter things. And the third thing is that we're talking about the sustainability uh, area. And the current decade will, you know, witness a very global shift toward the sustainability and environmental consciousness. Uh, government uh, and in fact, many businesses are increasingly focusing on renewable energy. We talk about electrical mobility, circular economy practices, which can certainly uh, drive economic growth and, uh, you know, in a way managing uh, climate change. Uh, you know, other than these factors, when we talk, when I just talked about these three factors, there are many other things. In fact, the pandemic has led to increased resilience and adaptation among the individuals, businesses, and the government, um, which we're talking about creativity, innovation, development of new business models. We have all seen the digitalization adoption in the country. I mean, we talk about India and some of the other uh, global countries have fast tracked by at least seven to 10 years. The various research suggests that. And there's people, uh, you know, have shown that one. Uh, the threat of aging population in developed countries, we could talk about, can be counterbalanced by increasing skilled immigration and creating opportunities for everyone. If I have to talk about Japan as an example, uh, in fact, Japan has incentivized firms to hire older workers and promoted a massive increase of female participation in the workforce. So things are happening. This started during the pandemic start or slightly before than that. On, on a face, it appears that we are losing out, but actually it's not. Uh, there are certain factors which might put global growth trajectory into different, uh, you know, different growth span. Yeah, that's uh, very heartening to hear that things are not as bleak as they look as of now. So let's start with uh, inflation because uh, that is the main influencing factor for central bank policies and for growth. Uh, headline inflation is coming down in most regions, but the core inflation is still elevated. So what's your outlook on inflation in the US, EU area and in Asia for 2023? It appears that uh, headline inflation has peaked um, across all regions, whereas core inflation have not yet. Uh, I think there's uh, still uh, some months, some quarters where core inflation is likely to remain elevated or go up, at least for some markets, we can see. Out of all three regions you talked about, I think Asia-Pacific is probably the best placed, uh, whereas EU is the worst placed. And we all know about that look like, uh, you know, in terms of the inflation outlook when you talk about. There are a few reasons uh, I want to highlight. Uh, first, um, when we compared with EU uh, or US, Asia Pacific did not see the same degree of price shocks because of the structural trade and economic reasons um, we have seen in the past. The second, uh, several central banks, such as uh, if you talk about South Korea, New Zealand, in this region, uh, they begin tightening monetary policy much before the Fed uh, or the ECBs. Uh, so uh, most of the countries in the Asia Pacific can see the multi-tightening was long time back and started long time back. The third region uh, can say that the two largest Asian economies, that's China and Japan, have a very benign inflation outlook. China is just recovering from its delayed reopening, whereas Japan which had been battling disinflation for decades, 
now sees some sign of inflation positively. So I think Asia-Pacific uh, region is likely to be uh, slightly manageable inflation for 2023, whereas U US and EU is going to be a problem for companies or people, other government authority. Yeah, so uh, we are seeing the central banks that are actually waging a war against inflation, right from Fed to ECB to all the other central banks. Why are they so intent on bringing down the inflation towards their long-term targets? Uh, what is the motivation? And will they be able to continue this battle against inflation given that it's beginning to affect growth? Uh, this is a credibility issue of the central bank across market. Uh, central banks are committed to inflation targeting as the primary goal. And if these primary goals are not met, then that erodes their credibility of being monetary authorities and you know, related policy will also be questions. Uh, central banks have learned uh, from what you call a historical experience that there are no half measures to tackling inflation. If I have to take you back in 1970s and 80s, uh, supply short shock from the oil prices had pushed inflation to a record high levels. I think we all have seen that. Uh, and back then, central banks prematurely declared victory over inflation. In fact, eventually, the US Fed had to jack up interest rate up to 20% in a shock therapy to deal a de death blow to inflation. Since then, inflation targeting has been built into the central bank's institutional frame. So their primary target of a central bank is inflation uh, control. Uh, whether they will be able to continue prioritizing inflation control or growth for a long time goes back to perception of credibility and independence. Uh, if you look at many people, many critique we have seen and they argue that many central banks were behind the curve with the transitory inflation narrative during last year. And in my own uh, research, we have, we have seen, we have found that many countries, many central banks used to say that don't worry about the inflation last year. They used to say that, you know, this inflation is transitory in nature. And that was, a, that was the reason that they did not increase the interest rate last year when it was expected. This is a deterrent to prematurity, a premature softening now, if they do. Uh, unless growth or unemployment are specific goals, uh, of a monetary policy or monetary authority, central banks are unlikely to abandon inflation targeting. Uh, while you know the growth is a concern, there's no doubt about it. But in economic theory, economic principle, growth is also target from the government side. What government is doing with the fiscal policy or maybe other measures. So it's growth has to be basically targeted by government, whereas inflation has to be targeted by central bank because there's no other monetary measure there's no measures which anyone can do to 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 control inflation which means we believe i think central bank across market across country they will continue to go behind inflation targeting for quite some time yeah that's an interesting thing you said that central banks target inflation and governments target growth uh, we don't really look at it that way so moving on to growth uh, let's start with the growth in US itself. So yesterday we had the GDP growth for the first quarter of 2023 that was revised higher to 2% from 1.3% estimated earlier. 
So does it give us room for optimism? What are your growth outlook for the U.S. market? So I think growth in the U.S. Uh, will certainly suffer given the unprecedented monetary tightening that we have seen and that has happened over the past year. And we have seen that how Fed rate gone from X to the Y. And that's, you know, a very significant push. In fact, data is giving a very mixed signal so far with private consumption and the labor market supporting the economy while manufacturing and housing showing a clear sign of weaknesses. And I know that's good news that it's coming revised upward. Uh, But what we may see going forward, at least one or two quarters of the negative growth, that does not uh, necessarily mean that the economy will be in the recession because one or two quarter of uh, negative growth that should not be a narrative for the recession for any of the countries. Unfortunately, we have seen in some of those narratives, but that's not the case for the US. We are projecting, in fact, uh, an overall expansion um, of something close to 1% for the economy in a 2023 as a whole. But the one, I think, concern and one thing we have to keep monitoring and the developments on the banking crisis, which we have seen in what happened in 2008. Is, so it's not just 2000. 2022, uh, 2023, uh, it's also about the repercussion uh, from the banking crisis in next quarter or next year. That things I think we need to keep monitoring. But other than that, 1% growth for US economy in 2023, that's what we can see. And that's that's a good number, given the world is battling with a revival phase. Okay, so uh, moving on to the EU area, you said that a technical recession may happen in US, but that's not a concern. So we recently heard that Germany has slipped into a technical recession and uh, that whole EU area is looking far more fragile now because of this uh, Russia-Ukraine war. How do you think it will pan out going ahead? I think UK is also looking pretty fragile. What is your uh, prognosis for that area? So talking about EU first and uh, Germany and UK later, EU has obviously been the worst hit uh, by the war, given its geographical reason, the location, and its historical dependence on Russian uh, energy. The war has exposed EU more than anyone else on the planet. So that's they've seen that how fragile they are. Europe largely relies more on gas for its energy needs. And, and I think we have seen the what you call the crude oil prices is cooling down, but that's not going to provide uh, what you call much help. In fact, that will, could be the indirect reply for the EU. Uh, most important is that Europe is now seeing profound changes on its energy flows. Uh, it has benefited non-traditional suppliers to Europe in the Middle East, uh, in the Central Asia, and even in the US, uh, if you talk about at the same time, there is a stronger push to renewable, which means, uh, you know, there's a rapid changes to the policies and sudden jaw, jolt to uh, business investment plans. And that's what's happening. Uh, in fact, if I have to talk about uh, energy transition, uh, in our view, there is a lot more lurking risk than the day-to-day price movement of energy. In fact, those are just the simple global demand and supply decision by bodies like OPEC and all that. So EU looks more uh, fragile in that true. And I think energy is going to be a single most factor uh, of a policy making in 2023 and year beyond, because I think we have seen the cost of living 
in the European market, especially in the cost of electricity and other piece, that's they got uh, hit and that's not going to come down. Germany is a serious concern, likely to uh, uh, create a problem, you know, for quite some time and going to have a, what, what, I, what I can say, the negative contribution to the overall EU growth in 2023 and year beyond. But I think there are some uh, signs of improvement we can see towards second half, things might revive, but that's assumption based. For UK, it's very weird things happening now. The core inflation has given a reason to Bank of England to increase the interest rate again, which they had been last time very recently. And now it's, it's the highest uh, in many years. And I think many countries, it's a problem. And that's, this goes back to our conversation earlier. I think uh, Bank of England is focusing more of uh, inflation control rather than worry for the growth, which means if the government and the Bank of England is not working in a tandem to control inflation and revive growth, then UK is certainly going to be in a, in a difficult roadmap. But at this point of time, we don't see serious issues uh, like what we have seen in the Germany. And uh, it's all about the assumption base that how government and the Bank of England come together to manage this one. But whereas if you have to look at the baseline and then what is the foundation in the economic growth in the UK doesn't look promising, doesn't look great, which means it's a country where we have to keep a watch uh, what's happening and what's going on in terms of the policy, in terms of the energy, in terms of the inflation, that's a core inflation is basically the biggest risk at this point of time. Uh, so coming to our last question, uh, where, where does India stand amidst all this? Because advanced economies, many of them are actually in, in a difficult spot as of now. So how will it be for India and uh, how will it, especially for the Indian exports? Will, will that be impacted by all this uh, goings on in the advanced economy? Yeah. So, yeah. so one uh, one good things about India, there are many things. So two two uh, two uh, two time zone. One is a recent, and one is basically this decade as a whole. Uh, so let me talk about the recent scenario. I think in terms of GDP growth rate, we again got back what we call the fastest growing market in the country in the world. So that's one good stuff. Uh, some of the industry uh, and some of the sectors have shown some promising growth. And I think thanks to some of the initiatives taken by the government and during the pandemic, uh, the production-linked incentives, that's going to help. Uh, the first time, uh, I think Make in India, we have quite some time, but the push actually got during the pandemic where these global companies who were basically disrupted because of the supply chain, we're looking for a China one, you know, that beyond China uh, uh, as a production hub. And India is one country who can basically capture and that, uh, not much traction. But at least uh, if you ask me, there is a significant uh, discussion uh, upliftment. We can see that's happening across countries who basically looking India as a next hub. And in that scenario, making India initiatives, production linked in, uh, incentives plan, they're certainly going to help. And we, anyways, ease of doing business have uh, help Indian authorities to get investment. I think that's happening. It's now only challenge here that how, how this uh, perception about India can be changed. Uh, it's changing very gradually. I think that's one thing. Second thing is that you now it's good positive things, good positive wave we can see across various European market and then the um, you know uh, US. We need to channelize into the real 
uh, effective investment in the country. In fact, when I look at my data, the more and more European Union companies are coming in our database to inquire about the Indian companies. So the trend is shifting from the traditional market uh, US and other developed countries to the European market. So that trend is uh, shifting, which is a great sign that we have, uh, I'm citing this, uh, looking at our inquiry data, which company come and inquire in our database, which is good. Now coming specific to the second point on the export, as a country, since our domestic demand is very vibrant and uh, recovering and there's you know, no problem, at, at least, uh, okay, at the country level, we are less impacted. But when you take a very specific export, uh, there's two things happening. Good things that we are diversifying uh, from a traditional market to the more and more market from the product side, from the commodity side, from the country side, which is good things. But as a global growth, it's basically global growth is impacted, is coming down. Uh, so our capacity and the capability of exporting to the other market is very limited because there's no demand from the traditional market, especially the Europe and then and the US, which is going to create a problem at least for 2023 and at least for some quarters of 2024 as well. So that's one concern. Uh, the way out is basically how uh, companies can diversify. That's a very short, that's a basically nowadays. Now going for the decade, I think uh, India has uh, taken a good advantage of the industry for whether talk about AI, ML, boom, it's happening multiple places in India. And I think there are multiple studies one can talk about who are basically saying that India is a bright spot in the industry four. Uh, industry three, industry two, industry one, India was a laggard in terms of adoption, but the industry four is in, in India is at a different level. So I think that's going to help. In fact, if you talk about Niti Aayog paper, that was addressing that AI can make a difference in India. AI has the potential to boost India's annual GDP rate by 1.3 percentage point by 2035. Uh, 2035. So that's the Niti Aayog uh, paper talking about. We talk about the public um, investment. That's massive 33% jump from last, uh, last year. And let me tell you, the infrastructure investment has the maximum multiplier impact through its forward and the backward linkages. So the you know, infrastructure push is certainly going to create a jobs and then GDP push in other areas as well, other sectors as well. So that's that's one good news. In fact, I was looking at some RBI estimate. Uh, the effective capital expenditure, when you talk about through its multiplier effect, can generate additional output of 10.3 lakh crores during 2023 to 2027. And uh, in from a driving sustainability growth, I think RBI estimate that India's green financing requirement is estimated to be around 2.5% of GDP annually till end of this decade, till 2030. And I think our demographic dividend is another piece where we should be happy about it. In, in fact, share of India's working age population to total working age populations is going to reach 68.9% by 2030. Uh, I, ideally, we should be the producer uh, for, the, for the overall, uh, uh, we are better placed as compared to rest of the world. Uh, export, certainly a concern and is not going to, to revive unless global growth revive or we diversify a market, that's one thing. And the third, I think this decade belongs to India, provided that India plays its game very 
properly and correctly on a time, whether talk about the technology adoption, whether talk about uh, you know governance improvement, whether talk about the improving the investment scenario in the country, whether talk about using our demographic uh, in our favor, whether talk about infrastructure financing. These four, three, four areas, if the government and the central banks come together and play their game well, I think this decade belongs to India. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Singh. That was uh, very optimistic and very nice to hear that this decade will belong to India. I hope the the listeners would have enjoyed listening to you as well. Thank you. 